Today's episode of Section 422 is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get new replacement blade refills for your trimmer every three months delivered to your door, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. These guys are barrels of fun. I mean, I feel like I, as a person, am 11 and 15 right now. This is Section 422. Welcome to the Section 422 podcast, episode number 74. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. Since Will and I last spoke, the Brewers completed two series and had two off days. We hope everybody had a safe and enjoyable Labor Day weekend. Will the Brewers enter this new week at 18-21, and 21, which is 21 games left to play. Only one and a half games back of a wild card spot in the National League. And I think as we pointed out with our schedule breakdown at the end of last week's show, there's still 10 games left to play against the Cardinals. The Cardinals are in second in the NL Central. The first two teams in every division make the playoffs in this 2020 season. So there is a pretty clear path to second place in the division. At least it's not as far off as it seems as you watch this team really struggle to gain momentum. You know, coming off of a win Friday night in Cleveland, uh, had a situation tied late on Saturday. That game didn't work out. We saw Josh Hader finally give up his first hit of the 2020 season. It took a very long time, but it finally happened. And you look at this team and you say, they still haven't played their best baseball yet. They still haven't even played well for a prolonged stretch yet. But now the question is, can they play well for a prolonged stretch? Do they have it in their range of outcomes? I think there's an increasing amount of doubt about this team as we get further into the season and they stay a few games below 500. Yeah, that's really the question with this team because I feel like every time we convene and talk about them, it's really similar subjects where we're either on the side of them playing poorly or we're on the side of them suddenly playing a little bit better only to take like another two steps backward in the next couple of days, which is kind of what happened recently to start this month. You know, they they played relatively well and then they still don't pick up the wins and they leave a lot of guys on base during that Indian series. And, and that tells me sort of an answer to your question, because I feel like good teams tend to cash in once in a while when guys are on base and the Brewers just, they they really don't. And although the offensive numbers have been better recently, if you look at it, I, I was just looking at their September numbers just because I had the feeling just from watching these games that I was looking at a better offensive team recently. And so I look at it, their batting average on balls in play is something like 350 hmm. and their and their batting average is like 240. It's weird. Yeah. So like like what that tells me and, and there's there's still like little power. I mean, Keston Hira has 
hit some home runs, but nobody else really has. So, I mean, I just feel like they they have been who they have been for a long time right now, and, and I just don't see that changing too much. You did mention the path toward the playoffs. They still have the wild cards as well. And it's funny because beginning of the year, we're talking about like th- at least three teams from the NL Central getting into the playoffs under this format. Now you look at it, they could be the one division with only two. And I think the Brewers really decide that because if, if the Brewers could put together a good stretch here at some point before it's over, they could easily slide in uh, because we've seen it before with this team, but they've, they've yet to do it and they've yet to even give us the feeling that they're capable of doing it at all. But yet you go through the checklist of all the things and say, well, Yelich could still heat up. He's sitting with nine home runs now with 21 games left to play. Hitting just 201, 335 OBP, 455 slug. The last two numbers slowly trending back into the direction that we're, we're accustomed to, but it's taken a bit longer than people would have expected. You mentioned Keston Hira, who continues to just be one of the more feast or famine offensive players in the entire league. And we've talked about his struggles with high fastballs. That continues to be a problem. I don't think it's something that easily gets fixed on the fly. And yet you see him occasionally connect for a long ball, and those are usually critically important for the Brewers, given the lack of offense uh, from the bottom half of the lineup. We've talked about Orlando Arcia maybe being the most consistent offensive player on this team. Not that he's been the best offensive player on this team, but just that he's been uh, pretty much the same guy from day one through day, what are we, day 37? <laughs> something something along those lines. But you, know, you look at this team and you just say, okay, like where is it going to come from besides Yelich and Hira? That's that's where I'm at too. And Abisail Garcia has been banged up recently, so I think that's been uh, one one potential source that hasn't been able to deliver because of that hamstring injury that he's been dealing with. We've talked about him a lot as an underperformer. We've talked about Narvaez. He still seems a little bit out of sorts at the plate. I think it's very apparent watching him this season, too. The scouting reports about his defense are accurate. He has problems playing his position defensively. Like That's just the way it is. It's very easy to see it. There are pass balls. There are issues just holding on to pitches. There are issues controlling the running game. Like It's a little bit of everything, right? So he has to hit. Otherwise, that move doesn't work at all. Like he has to hit enough to offset his own poor defense. And I think you can live with that defense right now if he's hitting the way he did last year. But he's striking out more than ever before, 32.3%, hitting 181 with a 292 OBP, 301 slug. As you look at the players who have really struggled, and you can feel free to add anybody you want to this group, is there anyone you've seen over the last week or so where you've said, okay, this is starting to look better. This is starting to look like this player has locked in and is beginning to look more like himself. Mm, not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do have somebody who could who could help. It looks like, and his name is Dan Volkelback. He's he's been he's been hitting man. He he entered this team with five hits on the season. I think he has four already. So that could be somebody, maybe possibly. I don't know. Um, but to, to answer your question, no, uh, because because you mentioned the guy that we really have zero answers for, and that's Nervaez. Um, everybody else, like Sogard hasn't played as much, and he's been struggling all year. Um, Avi Garcia has been out with a hamstring issue, 
and he's been he's been off and on more more off than on. So we haven't seen him and. Justin Smoke had struggled all year, and he's no longer on the team. And so you just go up and down the list. And, you know, you've gotten some nice production out of, say, Jed Jerko. Okay. Uh, Luis Urias has played mostly well, and he's been mostly consistent with the bat. But if you're asking for guys other than Yelich who could turn things around, I don't feel confident in really anybody. Of, of the list, who, of, the, of the guys who have struggled or the guys who have underperformed below what expectations were and just on Narvaez in particular he had like that RBI single uh, it was a broken bat single like just over the second baseman and then he had the other hit against the Indians which was another sort of not broken bat but it was just over the head of the shortstop against the Indians for that single so it's like I don't know man he just does not have the hard hit profile he doesn't have like even his home runs last year not many of them were, say, like, no-doubters on Savant or StatCast. Or... It's just, I just don't have a whole lot of hope for him, unfortunately. Um, and I think his defense has been better than advertised, but you're right. I mean, if we're looking at it objectively, it's still, the, the pitch framing has been better than I thought it would be. I think he's done a, a pretty solid job to almost a good job there. Uh, I, or I'll give it to him. He has done a good job there, actually. But the other stuff it hasn't been great. And so I'm with you, man. It's kind of like a bizarro situation where you expected some offense from this guy and some and some shoddy defense. And you've gotten some defense from the guy, but some some really bad offense. Yeah, it is weird to see the framing look good based on the uh, Savant metrics, but just the other functions of playing defense behind the plate are all below average, and that's very frustrating for a team that, that can't score runs, right? You can't afford to let base runners just pick up extra bases or let extra runs score from third on wild pitches that should have been blocked. And I think those little things start to weigh on you more when your offense is cold as the Brewers' offense has been. I'm glad you brought up Vogelbach. I mean, he's part of the this week's roster changes. It's interesting to add a player on the fly midway through the season off of waivers and to have that player hitting in the middle third of your lineup right away. But that kind of speaks to the type of player Vogelbach is, really an all-bat, no-glove sort of player, whereas Justin Smoke, who was designated for assignment, plays a good first base. Vogelbach can play first base, but really doesn't very often. Uh, he hadn't played first base at all with the Mariners this season prior to being let go there. He didn't play first base in any of his games that he played with Toronto. And it would probably be a rare occurrence for him to actually get that opportunity in Milwaukee. But four hits over the weekend against Cleveland. A few went the opposite way, too. When you look at Vogelbach, you see a guy that's got big power, and a little swing and miss, sometimes a lot of swing and miss in his game. But to see him going the other way, that to me is kind of encouraging. That to me looks like a player who is figuring it out after just a brutal start at the plate. You would hope so. And this is also a guy who hit really well his whole minor league career. I mean, I remember when they traded, when the Cubs had him and they drafted him and they packaged him for, or for uh, Montgomery. And to that point, you know, Vogelback. And even afterward, he, he had just a really strong track record of hitting for a high average with the power in the minor leagues. 
then he has that season that he had uh, last year where he, he makes the all-star team, hits 30-plus home runs, but things really fell apart in that second half, and he didn't piece it back together at all in 2020, and now this is his third team. So he is um, definitely intriguing when it comes to what he's possibly capable of with the Brewers, and Craig Council put it really well. He said, look, we're, we're trying to get lightning in the bottle here with this guy. And that's, I think, a fair assessment because you're only asking for this guy to produce for you for three weeks, two and a half weeks at this point, right? So he's definitely capable of that. And if he does perform at a, at a decent level where he's just kind of consistent and he's at least a presence, that helps. I mean, because that's what they've been missing because I just felt like I like Justin Smoke a, a lot. Um, I enjoyed covering him uh, in the brief time that I was able to. And I've always liked what he was able to do over the course of his career. I was happy to see him hit the 38 home runs a couple of years ago. But this year, man, it just felt like he got deep into counts. And it just it almost felt like you knew the outcome sometimes. You know, you just knew that it wasn't going to be pretty. Um, he got deep into counts. And it was going to be a strikeout. And it just, his rate was just way too high. And I totally understand the move. It just wasn't getting any better over the last couple of weeks either. So you hope with Vogelback that things turn around a little bit. And like Council said, they they just find lightning in a bottle here and, and ride it out for the last couple of weeks. I mean, look at the first half that made Dan Vogelbach an all-star last season. He hit 238, but had a 375 on base percentage, slugged 505. He was 36% better than a league average hitter. Did a good job controlling the strikeouts in the first part of the season as well. Only a 23.2% strikeout rate with all that power. And he walked 17.9% of the time. That's a middle of the lineup masher. Second half was a totally different story. The strikeout rate soared. The power dried up. I would say the league probably made some adjustments and he was working to adjust back. That's generally what happens when you see a first half, second half split like that. And for uh, for a relatively young player too. I mean, if you look back at 2016 through 2018, Vogelbach was up and down on that Seattle roster, but he really didn't stick with a, a long run of regular playing time in any of those first three seasons. 2019 was the first time he had a chance to have a spot to call his own for an entire season. So still a little bit of a, a raw player, even though we're talking about a 27-year-old and that minor league track record as a hitter, very impressive as well. So yeah, maybe Council's right. Maybe Stearns is right. Maybe this ends up being some lightning in a bottle from an unexpected place and they get that upgrade they need in the heart of the order. Uh, one other roster change that is interesting is that Tyrone Taylor has been seeing a little bit of time recently. He was promoted, I think, back on September 1st, if I have the dates correct. And he's not going to play a ton, but part of the Lorenzo Cain opt-out trickle-down has been needing capable defensive center fielders at the bare minimum. The Brewers now have one in Taylor who can come off the bench and maybe occasionally start against lefties. Yeah, I'm not sure how much longer he will be with the team, but he is that guy that does provide some outfield depth because... With Vogelback, their their lineup becomes interesting in the sense that they did not have a guy as their as a primary DH, and now all of a sudden 
they kind of do with Vogelback. And and he's not he may not play every day, of course, but he has played and he has been the DH. And so that means that if say they want Ryan Braun and him and Keston Hira in the lineup, you know, Hira's playing second base and Braun is playing right field in that situation. And so that would leave maybe center field option for for Taylor at times, but you know Gamble's played well recently. He's hit the ball well, so to me that that's that was one of the more interesting things about the Vogelback edition was for a team that was very sort of judicious with their DH slot. It just goes to show you just how much they needed the offense right now, and the fact that they're looking at it as that two and a half week, three week season at this point, where look. Yelich has to be in there at left field every day. Hira has to play every day at second base, and they're going to roll with it that way with Jerko probably at first base and then Urias at third and Arcia at short. So I feel like with with Tyrone Taylor, he he's a young guy. I, I think he was sort of almost trying to or just trying too hard in that at bat. I think he had like uh, guys on it, maybe in the bases loaded with the Indians where he struck out. Um, but I, I feel like there's a lot to like. I mean, Council had suggested that he was the best position player in Appleton right now, or or at least has been or had been throughout the whole season so far. So it was good to see him kind of get called up. I'm not sure how much he will be with the team just because I don't know how much of a need there is for him with their lineup configuration the way it is. But just like the pitchers, man, uh, who they've called up, at the very least, you know, it's, it's really good to get these guys some experience in this environment at the very, very least. Um, you know, if you if you don't make the playoffs, if this is a, uh, just one of those years where things went downhill and there was no there was no way of turning it around, whatever happens, I think there is some solace there. Where hey, at least, at least they got these guys some some playing time. At least they got their feet wet against some major league pitching or some major league batters. Right, you're making progress with development, even if you're not making progress with the record. I think that is an important note to include. And I think with Taylor, I would imagine that if Garcia is good to go for the start of the series in Detroit on Tuesday, Taylor might end up getting sent down the next time the Brewers need a fresh arm in the bullpen. I think the upcoming stretch after this two-game series in Detroit, there's an off day Thursday. There's several doubleheaders against the Cardinals on the schedule. Extra bullpen arms are probably going to be the greatest area of need. So Taylor would be the expendable position player, uh, at least temporarily. We are going to break down the upcoming series against the Tigers and a weekend series against the Cubs in just a moment. But first, a quick word from one of our sponsors. All right, Will, so the Brewers just saw the Tigers at Miller Park for a quick two-game series last week. That one ended up in a split. They get to see them again, this time at Comerica Park in Detroit, which, by the way, no one can go to the game at this point, but... I would actually put Comerica Park on the ballparks tour list and move it up a couple of spots once we're able to attend games again. I, I find Comerica to be one of the more underrated parks uh, in all of baseball. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a beautiful place. It always just like shows up well on TV. Like it's like presented so well, looks beautiful. Yeah, I'm with you on that. A lot of interesting history in that franchise. They did a good job of uh, weaving that into the park, and then the design of some of the. Uh, interior parts of the concourse actually reminds me a lot of old Tiger Stadium from when I was a kid. So I think it's just really cool because it's got a, a good nostalgic feel, even though it's obviously a new ballpark. Pitching matchups as they line up right now, it will be Adrian Hauser going 
tonight on Tuesday against Spencer Turnbull and Corbin Burns going on Wednesday uh, against Matthew Boyd. So pitching matchups that I think are, are pretty even, but I wanted to bring up Hauser because you wrote a bit about him uh, in your piece for The Athletic last week, taking a look at some things that kind of need to change if the Brewers are going to be a playoff team. And with Hauser, he just hasn't been the same guy he was last year. But for a starting pitcher especially, and this applies to any player, but for a starting pitcher, it doesn't take much to make the ratios look really bad. It takes one rough outing and the ERA and the whip sort of balloon up well beyond where they normally are. But you look at some of the underlying skills numbers, the strikeout rate is way down, the swing strike rate is down, the home run rate is up. As you dug in on Adrian Hauser, what did you find was different about him this season compared to the success he was having a year ago? The swing and miss is just really down for me. And and I feel like he's, I don't want to say that he is pitching to contact by design, but it certainly looks that way sometimes when he is pitching just anecdotally. And it makes sense on, on some level if that is the case, because we're talking about a guy who really, I, I feel like between you and I, the conversation with him was how much, how deep can he get into games? And so in order to do that, you kind of have to pitch a little bit more to contact if you're Hauser, right? And so I don't know if like that's part of it of, of as to why we're seeing the difference right now, but just the slider uh, sinker combination just hasn't really worked as as well. I feel like in the sense that he's just not getting swings and misses off of it, and it's a, it's a it's a weird thing because I just feel like his stuff is really good, and like his stuff was really good at the beginning of the year too, in his first couple of starts, the first few starts actually, and he still wasn't getting swings and misses, um, or at least not as frequently, and he wasn't getting strikeouts as frequently. I think is the big thing. Um, because maybe the whiff percentage, now that I'm thinking about it, was actually okay, but just the strikeouts were, were just down. And so for me, that just tells me like maybe he is more cognizant of just trying to get guys out, which is fine, but it just hasn't really worked out too well. I mean, like there's there's been times where he's had some hard contact against him. I think his last start, he gave up just so many hits. Uh, it was a combination of both. Some of them were infield hits. Some of them were hard hits. And just when you're when you're pitching that way, it's going to have that sort of effect. I feel like, unless you've really mastered it, if you're like a Brett Anderson, where you've been doing it for so long that you know you know how to, to consistently get that soft contact with your stuff. And I'm just not sure if Hauser has figured all that out yet. So it's something that I'm going to ask Craig Council about a little bit more, and I'm going to ask Adrian about some more as well because it's just to me, it's almost. Not a mystery, but it's just a weird development this year where we've seen just sort of the opposite of what we saw last year. Yeah, I don't have a great answer for it yet. It's been one of the things that I didn't really expect to see as a problem. I thought what we were getting from Hauser last year was actually pretty sustainable for him, given the way he does it. I think part of what makes him so effective, he's not a two start or not a two pitch guy or a three pitch guy. He's got a five-pitch arsenal. When you have that many weapons, you can keep hitters guessing. You know, when you locate the fastball as well as he was locating it last year, that goes a really long way too. And the one stat that kind of stuck with me after reading your piece was the first strike percentage. Adrian Hauser was leading the league in first strike percentage at the time you wrote that column. I almost wonder if he's in the zone too much. Like If he's not getting hitters to chase because they know they can get something they can hit because he lives in the strike zone more than any pitcher in the league right now. 
Yeah, definitely. That You nailed it there. And that's something that was just... I felt like it was the case, but then like it's like one of those deals, right, where you, you line up the, the sortable stats and you're like, okay, I wonder where he is. And then it's like number one, and it's number one by a decent amount of percentage points. And it's like, okay, wow, yeah, that makes sense because you feel like you've, you've been watching that for a while. And to see it that high, I think that just goes to show you that, yes, he's he's been living in the strike zone and you can get ambushed that way. And I feel like sometimes the hard contact is a result of that. I would have to look back to see where how early in the counts the hard the hard contact is coming for some of the softer stuff. But again, it's it's a bad combination when you're just living in the zone so much. So he's got to figure it out. They They really need him because Corbin Burns has pitched so well. He's really accelerated his development to becoming one of the more consistent guys this year in baseball when it comes to him producing to the level that you expect every fifth day. And then Brandon Woodruff is another guy that they need more from, but you feel like you're going to get it soon from him. It's just Hauser, man. If they could get that from Hauser... They have three guys and even a fourth with Brett Anderson sort of doing his thing. And it just makes you believe in that starting rotation a little bit more. But, I mean, Hauser has to has to pitch the way that he's capable of for this team to really get going. Yeah, you mentioned Burns. I mean, he was great again on Friday night against Cleveland as well. And in that 7-1 win that the Brewers put together at Progressive Field. Uh, off day Thursday, as I mentioned before, Brandon Woodruff lines up to start on Friday. Brett Anderson could go Saturday. Josh Lindblom, if he's back in the rotation, could theoretically go Sunday. I don't think that's even close to a guarantee at this point. He worked in relief over the weekend. Uh, Will, what do you think the plan is for Lindblom with you know, two double headers coming up Monday and Wednesday next week and working around the off day on Thursday this week and next Thursday as well? I think we could see him out of the bullpen again versus the Tigers on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then from there, it kind of depends on, well, if he does actually pitch out of the bullpen, I feel like, on those two days. But I think that they still want him to be a starter for the rest of this year, of course. I think we will see him start games again relatively soon. Council had said that it was just going to be the one start that they were going to skip with him. But because of the off days coming up and the off day that they just had on Monday... There's some breathing room there to sort of reset the rotation if you want to or just continue along and just and just skip them like they did. So like you said, with the double headers, they're, they're going to need him to, to start games. And so I expect him to do that. But it was just really nice to see him in that relief appearance versus the Indians really be a lot more aggressive than we've seen. And that was something that he told counsel that he was going to do. And that be, that certainly behooves him, right? I mean, we, we've seen it where just the off-speed stuff out of his hand is just an obvious take, not getting a whole lot of swings out of the zone because of that. So he's got to be in the strike zone a little bit more than we've seen him. Yeah, he's really got to establish that fastball better and then play off of some stuff with it and, and try to figure out what works earlier before, I think, going to a full arsenal where... You know, he's just trying and tinkering throughout the game and just hasn't really helped him out a whole lot. So I think the aggressive approach that we saw against the Indians, if he could carry some of that into his next outing, it really provides him with something to build off of. Yeah, I think he's the kind of guy in a long season, there would be much more time for him to turn it around. I think it makes it more difficult for the Brewers to figure out how exactly to use him 
knowing that each of these remaining 21 games are, are so important. And he's just had so many issues with those high pitch counts and, and just ending up behind so many hitters. Uh, it seems fixable when you watch him because the stuff doesn't look bad. It, it looks like he could put that back together at some point here down the stretch. Uh, one more question for you as you look ahead to this upcoming week. Uh, Corey Knable seems to be making some progress uh, at the alternate training site. Is he close to being activated? Yeah, he is. By all indications, he was a, a strong option to be activated over the weekend. Council even said that that was going to be the plan. I just don't think that they really needed that extra re- reliever because of the way things occurred over the weekend, so they chose not to. And they honestly did need some more position players just with the way that they've been hitting and just with Avi Garcia out, I think played a huge role in that as well. Um, because I feel like that's why we've seen Tyrone Taylor stick around maybe a little bit longer is just because of the uncertainty surrounding Garcia right now with a hamstring issue. And so that pop, that played a role. And of course, they didn't have Jerko for a little while, um, got him back on Friday. So uh, some little uncertainty with position players, but Knable, man, uh, you know, Council said the velocity had been better over the in Appleton, and that was the main thing. I don't know if it's going to suddenly be 95, 96, but if he could get on track or at least have a couple of good outings to end the year, that would do a lot for, I'm guessing, his confidence, but really just the confidence around him because I think we've talked about this a bunch, but there were some maybe unfair expectations on him. Uh, coming off a of Tommy John surgery without a traditional rehab to get him going and to ramp him up. And so if, if he could close out the season with some nice outings, I would feel really good about him in, in 2021. Or, hey, if they make the playoffs, you know, that would be big for him to kind of get himself going and to be part of a bullpen that has been pretty good. But without David Phelps, there is an area where they need maybe one or two guys to step up and sort of fill that role in addition to Devin Williams and Josh Hader. Right. Knable could easily be that third best reliever who comes in and is part of that bridge to the end of the game if he's got that velocity back and if he can locate his pitches better this time around than he did in his first run with the Brewers earlier this season. Interesting to see the Cubs on the schedule and not having to see the Brewers go to Wrigley Field to play them. They, of course, are that weekend series that I mentioned. Uh, Cubs still in first place in the NL Central and holding pretty comfortable lead at this point too so it would take uh, probably a sweep to really make things interesting as far as first place goes in the nl central that is going to wrap things up for this episode of section 422 you can find will on twitter at will salmon i'm at Derek van riper be sure to get a subscription to the athletic at theathletic.com slash 422 get 40 percent off if you go to that page if you have questions for us you want us to get to in a future episode you can send those our way via twitter And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform like Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a nice rating and review, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.